Today is Palm Sunday, the day when the date to remember Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the fall of a donkey, and people spread, spread before Jesus their clothes and palm branches. But if you notice, there's no mention of palm branches in this passage. Uh, another gospel writer tells us that people spread leafy branches before Jesus. And gospel according to John tells us that people spread palm branches before Jesus. So the four gospel writers all talk about this event, but in a different way. And some people, noticing that the four gospel writers report this event in different ways, have said, you know, this is the proof that Scripture cannot be inspired by God because they all have different stories to tell. They said there are discrepancies, and this proves that God's Word is man's Word, not the inspired Word of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've always found that to be an odd kind of a complaint. Uh, I, I used to enjoy watching criminal shows on TV, you know, Law and Order, for example. And it often happens in that one of the ways that you catch a group of people lying is that when they tell the same story exactly, you know, then you realize, you know, they're colluding. There's a conspiracy. They got their story straight to tell the same lie. And I've always wondered, what would have happened if all the four gospel writers have told the story exactly the same way? You know, that these pe- the same people that complain that the stories are different would then be complaining, you know, they made this up, and they're colluding. They're, this is a conspiracy. You know, some people just can never be satisfied. But it seems to me, as these gospel writers tell the story, all each in their unique way, appropriate to their audience, and in keeping with their theological agenda, it tells me this is where we see that the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture without fault and without error, is at the same time most authentic to human experience and human nature. And so this morning, we've come to this passage in Luke's gospel to, to see how Luke reports this event, noticing uh, there is no mention of palm branches, but I agree that it sounds better. Palm Sunday sounds better than cloak Sundays or robe Sundays or garment Sundays. So we'll keep the name. We'll still call it Palm Sunday. Uh, But nevertheless, we want to focus on what Luke has to tell us about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But I wonder, um, I think it's possible that it's really hard to get excited about what we read here. Jesus, he comes riding a foal of a donkey. You know, that's not exactly kingly. It's not exactly regal. And what's the deal with people throwing their cloaks both on the colt for Jesus to sit on and on the road? You know, it it all sounds so low budget. You know, you want to say, you know, doesn't Jesus deserve something better? Couldn't they have thought of something better, a better way to welcome someone they claimed was their king? And you also wonder, how does Jesus' triumphant entry 
help us today. When a mad dictator starts a war, when we lose our jobs, when chronic illnesses ravage our bodies, how amidst the, the painful things we experience in our life every day, how does Jesus' triumphant entry help us today? What does it have to do with the things that we experience day-to-day life? Well, let me tell you, it has everything to do with it. Because first of all, Jesus is a different kind of a king. Jesus is a different kind of a king. Now here, Jesus is about a mile away from Jerusalem. And Jesus is traveling with pilgrims, uh, traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This was one of the most important events of the Jewish year when all the people would travel from all over the country to Jerusalem to worship God, to remember God's deliverance of his people from Egypt. And the the thing is that as people came from all over the country and made their pilgrimage, they would walk the very last mile into Jerusalem. And so the question is, why does Jesus with the mile to go, why does Jesus at this point ask for a ride? You know, that just wasn't done. That's just not something you do. And the, the larger answer to the question is by noticing that verse 28 begins by saying, when Jesus has said these things, what things? It's referring to the parable that Jesus told in verses 11 through uh, 27, because after Jesus told the parable, and Jesus told the parable because all the people who were traveling to Jerusalem, they were thinking, we read in verse 11, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, we need to remember that the first century Jewish people, they lived under the Roman rule. The Roman Empire has subdued the Jewish nation, so they were a, 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 a vassal nation. And so for the Jew, first century Jewish people, when they thought about God's kingdom, God's kingdom, the coming of God's kingdom meant having political clout and political independence. And so when they thought about God's kingdom, it meant Freedom, and it meant uh, the power uh, to be independent because they kept thinking of the glory days of Israel that was long past. And so as far as they understood their situation, power and freedom were their most pressing need, and that's what they were asking from God. Now, I think we can all relate because we have all said to God at one point or another, we have all said this, God, this is what I need, and I need it now. Haven't we all said that? According to the way we understand our own situation, we think we know exactly what we need the most, and we tell God. And oftentimes that's what our prayer is. God, I know exactly what I need. I know exactly when I need it. So get with it. 
This is what you need to give me, and this is when you need to give it to me. That is to say, when I look at what the Jewish people were hoping for, what they were expecting, I can relate to them. But in the way that Jesus enters into Jerusalem, Jesus is teaching them that God, he is building his kingdom, not ours. And yet when God builds his kingdom, he acts with utter goodness towards his people. And so notice how Jesus sent for a cult on which no one has ever yet sat. You know, a baby donkey does not project a sense of power. And you know, that is precisely the point. Because in the history of mankind, kings are often selfish and self-centered. In the history of mankind, kings are often unmindful about the concerns of the common people. They take from the poor to enrich themselves, and they are power-hungry warmongers who wage war for their vain glory. That's the kings of human history. But you know, you cannot charge into a battle or wage a war riding a baby donkey. You know, that really is the point. And to tell us that Jesus is a different kind of a king. Now, in order to understand this, we need to understand a little bit about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we read the prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah was a prophet who ministered to God's people after they had come back from their exile. You know, you would think, they sinned so greatly that they were expelled from, their, uh, from God's promised land. And they were away for 70 years. And you would think that when they come back, they finally learned their lesson. Except they didn't. Because almost as soon as they come back, the nation goes right back to the very things that brought upon them God's judgment So when you read the book of Zechariah, as Zechariah ministers to the people who came back from the exile, you see once again judgment looming over their head because these people, they learned nothing. Everything went back the way it was. And so the book of Zechariah starts with this ominous, terrifying vision of four horses and the horsemen that symbolize God's judgment upon the nation and even the entire world. And that's how the book of Zechariah begins, that ominous, that frightening vision of four horsemen. But then, in Zechariah chapter 9, something changes. In chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, this is what we read. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. And you see, that's the point. Zechariah began his prophecy, uh, prophecy 
once again letting the people of Israel know you went right back to what you were doing and now judgment is what you deserve. Judgment is what you should be expecting. But against the frightening vision of four horsemen, Zechariah receives a new vision of a king who comes to them not riding upon a war horse but upon a gentle creature coming with peace. And so that's where we learn that God's king, when he comes, will not come to wage a war against the, against the people that deserve judgment. But God's king, he will come and bring peace, and he will make all wars to cease. And what's really interesting is that the Jewish people, you know, they really wanted, and this is really what they prayed, they wanted God to destroy the foreigners, the people that they called sinners. And they could never accept that they too, they too were sinners deserving judgment. But this is the truth. Both Jew and Gentile, both the religious and the pagans, whether you are educated or ignorant, we have all rebelled against God. We all deserve wrath and judgment. But Jesus came, not with God's wrath, but that we might know God's peace. So Jesus is a different kind of a king. Secondly, we learn here that Jesus is a worthy king. Now, as Jesus rode on, the crowd, they went wild, and they spread their cloaks on the road. And again, you know, could they not think of a better way to welcome Jesus? It's so, you know, it's so low budget, you know. Actually, it was the perfect response to Jesus. It was the perfect way to receive their king. You know, um, our closets are full of clothes that we don't wear, but they just hang there. They just take up space. Uh, but back then, and this was true for most of human history, most common people only owned a few uh, pieces of clothing. And that is why when we read the Old Testament, that a person's outer garment or cloak could be taken as a pledge for a debt. Uh, but God also instructed the creditors to return the cloak uh, before the sunset because the poor people who own no other piece of clothing, they have nothing to sleep in. And so God instructed them to keep the pledge only during the day but return it to them at night so they have something to sleep in. You know, it's a really different kind of world, isn't it? Um, it's really one that's hard for us to imagine. But that as a reminder that during those days, uh, common people really owned just a few uh, items of clothing, and in many cases, just one, you know? And so for these people to, to throw their cloaks for both Jesus to sit and on the road for Jesus to ride on. You know, it's literally laying at Jesus' feet 
some of their most prized possessions. And then they praised him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, where do they get the idea of peace? You know, they got that from Zechariah. Because it was Zechariah's prophecy that your king will come to you riding on a fall of a donkey and bringing peace. And they, they caught on to it. They realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy of peace. And what is peace with God worth to you? What is peace with God worth to you? To know that your sins are forgiven. To know that the Holy Judge is now your loving Father. You know, that was everything to them. And it would, be, it would be for us too if we understood what price Jesus would pay to give us that peace. Because you see, even now, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And before this week is over, Jesus will be crucified, bearing our sins, so that we who deserve God's wrath might receive mercy so that he will take upon himself the judgment that we deserve, so that in his suffering and death, our sins might be forgiven. That's what Jesus was doing. That's where Jesus was headed. And even though the crowd could not clearly understand what Jesus was about to do, they had enough of an inkling to bless Jesus, to praise him. And indeed... The Spirit of God stirred their hearts to bless Jesus, to recognize his worth, and to lay at his feet everything that is precious. But sadly, as the crowd blessed Jesus, some of the Pharisees took issue. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Isn't it really tragic? On that very day, Inside the temple, they were singing, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Let the king of the glory come in. Who is this king of glory? And the common people, people who were sure about their need for God's grace, people who understood their sinfulness, they saw in Jesus God's love and redemption, and they blessed Jesus. But the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the arrogant, they were really angry. Teacher, Jesus, stop your disciples from praising you. How tragic to know so much about God and yet not worship him. How about you? Are you moved by who Jesus is? Or do you feel put off when you watch people worship Jesus? Jesus is a different kind of a king, and Jesus is a worthy king. And thirdly and lastly, behold your king. And we come back to the question that I asked you earlier. 
How does Jesus' triumphant entry help us today in all the ways that life has been painful? You know, it's all about knowing that Jesus is not like the kings of men who sacrifice others for his enrichment. But knowing that Jesus is the one, the king who sacrificed himself that we might be whole. You know, I meant, I I said it with the sense of, hopefully it came across. I I said it with a sense of humor that we tell God often, I know what I need and you need to give it to me now. But you know, sometimes it's just a reflection of the desperation of our hearts, isn't it? We suffer. We are hard-pressed. And we can imagine so many ways that God can act to help us and bring us relief. And so it is not merely out of foolishness and selfishness, but you know, it's sometimes out of desperation that we say to God, this is what I need and I want it. Now, But you know, when we say that, we should realize also that we are at the same time telling God, I know better than you how to be whole. So God, please, listen to me because I know how to be made whole. And so it is really important for us to know that God, God not only knows better, but he also loves us more than we know. You know, it's no denying it. We all know pain. I know something about all of your lives. I know that every one of you, each and every one of you, you live with pain, sometimes physical, sometimes otherwise. We all know pain. We have all suffered the laws of things that are precious to us. Sometimes it's a job, you know, but jobs come and go. It's hard losing a job, but, you know, usually it doesn't break us. Uh, But it's harder when relationships break and we lose the people that we love. And it's hard when we lose our health. We all know pain. We all know what it's like to lose the things that are precious to us. But suffering is a teacher in that through suffering, Jesus teaches us. And what he teaches us is that when, when everything we hold dear and everything that is precious are lost to us. Suffering teaches us that Jesus will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Suffering teaches us that when we have lost everything, everything that we hold dear, and when we, the only thing that we have left is Jesus, then suffering teaches us that Jesus is enough. 
because Jesus will never leave or forsake us, because Jesus is not the kind of a king who deprives others to enrich himself, but Jesus is the king who sacrificed his life, who died, who suffered so that you and I might live. And so that is why the best thing that can happen to you and me is not for all of our dreams to come true, but rather the best thing that can happen to you and me is for Jesus to become real and present. And that's what suffering does. So I say to you, beloved, behold your king. When we lay our treasures at his feet, they will not be degraded, but they will be glorified. You know, isn't it interesting? These people, they spread their cloaks on the unpaved dirt road, not only unpaved, but a road that was shared by animals. If you've ever been on the countryside or if you've ever been to third world country where the roads are frequently shared with animals, you know what they leave behind. And they threw their cloaks on that road. And, you know, pilgrims heading to Jerusalem, and this is the most important day of the year, they need to arrive in their Sunday best, you know, not in their soiled clothes. So when they cast their cloak before Jesus, it wasn't some thoughtless, impulsive thing that they did, but it was a devotion of the highest kind. They adored Jesus, and they laid at his feet their best and their dearest. And you know, when they picked up their cloaks from the road, they did not pick up cloaks that were soiled, rather they picked up cloaks that were hollowed by Jesus. Now I can imagine maybe the likes of the Pharisees. Now I'm sure they looked down upon these pilgrims who arrived into Jerusalem wearing cloaks that were stained. And I'm certain that these Pharisees looked down upon them for coming to the temple in such undignified way. But you know, in God's eyes, they finished their pilgrimage in beautiful garments. They honored the king, and in turn, they were honored. And that's how it is. And so I ask you, loved ones, what do you hold precious and dear? Give them to Jesus. Our King, Jesus, He is unlike any other. And when He is glorified, He shares His glory with us. Amen. Now let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that you sent us Jesus, to be our King and our Lord. And we thank you that 
while we live in this world of pain, carrying about us unspeakable burdens, that Jesus did not come to add burdens upon our back, but he came to carry our burdens. He came to give us grace, and he came to let us know that you love us, that we can be whole. So we thank you for Lord Jesus, and we honor him this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help that as we begin this Passion Week, this Holy Week, that our thoughts may be upon the Lord Jesus, his suffering, his death, his grace, and his love for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.